That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, a Batman and DC podcast with no limits. Uh, this is one we've been waiting for a long time, so we're going to get right to it. Let's cover the roundtable. We've got the Bat Force Times from New York, and we have the Grumpler, also from New York. Hey, what's up? And uh, we should be rejoined momentarily by Grandpa Batman from Dallas, Texas. And I am Robin Cross from Canada. So, today, it is rare that... A creator in any medium can be possessed of such a creative spark that he can change the course of not only one comic universe but two and also have that effect spread out into beyond the comics into movies television video games animation but that is what today's guest has done his creation I, I won't sit here and talk for two hours about everything he's created though I could uh, to shorten it, he's responsible for characters like Blade, Bullseye, and Black Cat over at Marvel, to name a few, as well as over at DC, Nightwing, Deathstroke, Tim Drake, the Teen Titans, that list goes on and on. We are joined today by the one and only Mr. Marv Wolfman. <laughs> Hi there. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, Marv. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. My pleasure. Uh, it's been uh, a few months now since the last time I saw you. We... Uh, we did a panel at a convention together back in September. Uh, how's life been since then? How were your holidays? Uh, they were fine. Just trying to get uh, work uh, finished. Uh, we, ha I had a um, coming out. I think in the next week. It's not already out. Is something called Primal Age. It's one of the DC hundred-page specials, and um, based on some a toy line at uh, Funko. And also another different 100-pager, but this one for the regular uh, distribution, so it'll be at comic shops, is a, uh, is a uh, full-length 100-page Superman story that I wrote that may be the best thing I've ever done. At least I think so. Wow. I think the writing is really solid. And that comes out, I think, February 6th or February 9th, one of those two days. And it's, the, it's called Man and Superman. And uh, you mentioned that uh, when we were speaking before, and if I remember right, this was a story that you'd written for an old title that didn't get released, correct? Yeah, I wrote it for Superman Confidential, which was a book exploring different parts of Superman's life. I finished it long, long time ago when it was drawn, but Superman Confidential was canceled before it could be used, before its time came up. And because it's forced, it was four issues, uh, there was no easy place to put it anywhere. Uh, because uh, I think the 100 pages have proven very popular, the ones that are at Walmart, they decided to combine this but make this for a uh, comic shop 
audience, not a uh, not the uh, Walmart audience. So um, I am extremely happy with it. Yeah, it, it's uh, fantastic for longtime readers like us to see your stories uh, still carrying that weight uh, that we're all used to reading your stuff our entire lives. For younger audiences that are listening to the show, uh, let's rewind. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, take us back through your early career and like what started you on the road to this sort of creativity? What, what made you want to be uh, a creator in general? And was there <coughs> a, a particular thing that made you say, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do? When I was a little kid, I was at a friend's house and I'm, I don't know how old I was, maybe six to nine, something around there. And we were watching a TV show called Howdy Doody, which was very popular back in the 1950s. And it was a puppet show. Much of the um, Toy Story characters uh, were based on that. Woody is very much Howdy Doody, a very similar type of character. At the end of it, normally we would get up and change the channel. This is before remote controls came in, of course. And you had to get up and turn the TV or, uh, to another channel. And... Uh, for some reason, we didn't get up to change it. And the show that followed Howdy Doody was The Adventures of Superman, which we had never heard of before, never seen. Um, um, and at the end of it, it said it was based on the copyrighted character appearing in the comics. And my friend and I ran out to our corner where there was a newsstand and bought our first comics. So that's pretty much what did it. It got me into comics. So, yeah, all, all it took was just that, that one introduction to one character. And uh, Well, there wasn't that. Yeah, you have to remember back in the early 1950s, the only superhero characters that were being published was Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. There were no other companies. There were no other, even DC didn't have other superheroes uh, at that particular point. You know, it was backups maybe, but not as the main title. So yeah, you'd have Aquaman and Adventure Comics, but uh, the Adventure Comics was really Superboy. So the fact that we were opened up to this thing where people could fly and they could do all these different things, that sort of sparked the imagination. That was sort of the key that let you go, oh wow, this is incredible. And then you'd make up your own stories and from there, it just kept uh, escalating. So you you grew up in like Brooklyn and Queens, right, in New York? Yeah. So that's cool. So you remember like seeing like you know Batman and Superman on at the newsstands and everything like that. That era when it was starting to evolve into you know right right before the Marvel spark as well. Oh, it's long thing. before it's long before Marvel. It was years before Marvel, but Marvel came in at exactly the right time. Uh, this the, the I was a huge Superman fan, and I started to buy every comic. So. If you're buying Superman, all of Superman, you're buying World's Finest, and that introduces you to the Batman world because they were a team-up. So you started to do that. Then you'd start to look for something when none of the Superman or Batman books come out, and there's Wonder Woman. Those things spark the imagination, and some people just enjoy reading it. I was somebody who just kept coming up with my own versions of the stories. You had your own way of breaking into the industry, but you just started doing things yourself. You created many fanzines. Uh, people, to, uh, younger readers say, may not be aware of it, uh, that you created all these fanzines, that you were uh, writing yourself and publishing other writers' work as well. And you were, we spoke about this uh, at, the, uh, at the panel, uh, you were the first to publish work from Stephen King. Yeah, uh, a publisher's story. Uh, one of his stories, it was Steve King. And uh, yeah, the the fanzines, essentially that could be, you know, the 1950s version of the internet to some minor degree. You printed it, 
on something called a ditto print, uh, which is very much like a mimeograph or all these things that no longer exist. But it was a very simple way of doing it. And you can make about 125, 150 copies. And I did that, came up with four different fanzines. One was a superhero fanzine called Super Adventures. That I actually got from a friend who, who had also gone to school. He started Super Adventures and wanted to give it up. Uh, and I took it over. Uh, a comedy fanzine called The Foob. The, uh, a horror fanzine called Stories of Suspense. And an opinion fanzine called um, What The. Both, all of those aimed at different things that I enjoyed. You know, I like writing superhero stuff. I, li uh, I liked um, uh, uh, the horror material. I didn't watch horror movies, but I did like the books. And uh, as far as Stephen King, that story originally was broken into several pieces. And I don't know if it was ever fully published by somebody else. It was sent to me to publish all in one. So this, uh, you know, it was a kid named Steve King. I didn't know who it was. Uh, never heard, you know, he was just a kid. He was probably my age or a year or two younger. And um, I thought it was really cool because I had prose stories in the fanzine. We did it. We did it all in one. And um, years later, uh, the person who sent it to me to do, uh, to print, called me and said, you realize that story way back when was written by Stephen King? And I went, what are you talking about? Who, you know, uh, no way. Stephen King, by that point, had finally come out, you know, with um, a carry and then Salem's Lot and all the others. I went back, checked the fancies, and lo and behold, yeah, that was him. And we got in touch with him and we communicated a little bit uh, over over it. That's right. Yeah, he's uh, definitely come a long way, just as you have. You both uh, made strides. Yeah, well, I think I think he came out a little bit bigger, so that's okay. <laughs> well, that's that's arguable. That's though, arguable uh, in terms of what genre you're in, because in the comic book genre is so widely exposed to so many people, especially young people, as opposed to how many people really have, uh, as opposed to people who might have read his novels. You know, so it's. Yeah. It, I, I would say it depends. Well, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> well, let's do a little something different. Uh, let's just blast forward for a second and talk about Teen Titans on the DC streaming service is getting a huge buzz. Um, how do you? How are you comprehending that to see your characters on the screen? That uh, level of exposure at this day and age. I mean, you're talking about going back to when you watch Howdy Doody on the television, all the way to well, now. We have the streaming service where new, new generations countless numbers of people are being exposed to the characters you created how like how do you process it at this point in your career well you have to understand that uh i never you know knew or thought that any of this stuff was uh, ever going to be seen anywhere but the comic book when george and i george Perez and i decided to do this and proposed it to dc that's as far as it was going to go i mean nobody was talking about uh tv or movies or anything else and you know, then a couple of years later, we started to get some animation requests and there was some Teen Titans animation done. Mm -hmm. uh, then finally, the Teen Titans cartoon show on the Cartoon Network came out. And then uh, after it was number one show there and then later, you know, Teen Titans Go came out. Uh, so now for this generation, it's now the uh, Titans and it's it's great. I mean, uh, any creator would like to think that their work has lasting uh, capability. Um, and fortunately, you know, we all lucked out quite a bit. 
Uh, George and I knew what we wanted to do, and I think we did a really good book, and I was very happy with it, still am. Uh, but then when it went to animation, it went to the WB, and David Slack and Amy uh, Wolfram uh, were the story run- showrunners, and they were really good. Yeah. And then and then the, I forget the names of the showrunners on Teen Titans Go at the moment, but uh, they had a completely new take, still following the concepts of the characters. So now comes out the live live action um, uh, version of the Titans, and it's by Jeff Johns, who's a really great writer. So we've been very lucky. It's that the people who followed George and me were really good. Mm. And they kept the uh, franchise alive. It could have gone away because uh, the people who did it weren't that good. It uh, it didn't attract an audience. But all the people who have taken the Titans since George and I did it, did a great job with it. Uh, so the, I'm very proud of the TV show. I've had nothing at all to do with it. Um, but I think it's a really good show and kept getting better with each episode. I wasn't sure at the beginning, but by episode three, I was a diehard fan. Mm. And yeah, the Titans are wildly popular, really with young people as well. They they just, I don't know, they just relate to these characters, these upcoming characters or whatever it may be. But I, you know, we've always knew that Teen Titans was just going to be around for a really long time and really popular. Now with them, I mean, they chose, the DC chose and one of they chose those characters to launch their streaming service, which I believe says a lot too. Oh, but even aside from... Uh, Teen Titans, I just want to, well, I, I guess I, you know, on behalf of the Bad Force as well and myself, I just want to, always wanted to thank you for creating one of my favorite characters in comic book history, which is uh, Slade Wilson Deathstroke, which I feel is just, Thanks. he is wildly popular as well on the other spectrum as one of the biggest badass mofos in the DC universe or comic book universes in general. I always wanted to ask you personally, because c- it drives me nuts because I'm a big Deathstroke fan. And it's just, there's been so much history, uh, like in the past 20 years or whatever. In terms of Deathstroke or Slade on the verge about to becoming really big in mass, uh, with the mass media in terms of pop, uh, potential of him in film roles and whatnot, what is your, what's your take on the Deadpool phenomenon? Where, well, basically he's a carbon copy that's a parody, but has been extremely lucrative for Marvel. I always wanted to know what your, your thoughts on that were, because I think Deathstroke is a brilliant character. Well, thank you. Uh... If, if they didn't do the name Wade Wilson, uh, there'd be nobody would ever have confused it because the costume really looks more like a Spider-Man costume. Right. Um, it's a co- totally different thing that unfortunately, because of the name choice they put on it to do a parody, since uh, I think Rob was a big fan of, um, of Deathstroke. Yeah. Uh, but it's only the name that has any similarity. And even there, how many characters with the word name death, you know, have mm. been done in comics? You know, probably every one. I really don't think too much about uh, Deadpool. I enjoyed the first movie. Second one wasn't quite as good, but still fun. Yeah. Uh, I think he, I think because he's a parody type character, it's a lot of fun. But nah, uh, you know, it's only in the name, yeah. not in anything else. I never thought of it that way. That's that's a good point. Really good. That's actually relieving. <laughs> We're all much more interested, of course, in continuing live action uh, appearances by Slade Wilson. Mm. Uh, we got to see a little bit of a peek of him portrayed by Joe Manganiello, yes. who I know you actually got to uh, have a sit down with <clears throat> and uh, discuss the character for a while. And that was done uh, before or after his uh, portrayal? Uh, it was, um, oh God, I'm trying to recall now. I 
think it was during the Earl about the same time. I think it was about the same time. And they were at that point talking about a Deathstroke movie, even whether he'd be in a Batman villain or a Deathstroke movie. Now, I don't know if any any of this is coming out. I'm not told about it. Mm. So, you know, I have no knowledge that I'm holding back. Um, uh, yeah, I, it was around that time. Jose, Jose uh, as you probably know, is sort of a, a geek, mm. uh, major Dungeons and Dragons fan. Yeah, uh, from what I got, he's a comics fan. He wanted to talk to me to see, even though he was going to do the Deathstroke, the director wanted him to do, and that's the way they do it in Hollywood. Uh, he still wanted to get the background of Deathstroke, and he wanted to talk out the character. And um, I found during our talk, he actually understood the character thoroughly. I don't think I told him anything he didn't already know. He really had analyzed the character well. So you, you, you gave him the thumbs up as Deathstroke? Oh yeah, he looked great. I saw that uh, he had a picture of him in, in the full costume and that just blew me away. Wow. Let's just rewind just a pinch more because I, I just always wanted to ask you this as well. Um, what was your thought process when you were developing Deathstroke? What were you thinking about when you wanted to flesh out this character who is just like the most ruthless tactical badass in dc some some have labeled some consider him like the evil captain america and you know other labels like that like like what was your process when you created this guy uh well first of all uh i'm i'm actually seeing you you're you're on camera oh that's uh grandpa batman (laughs) yeah that's me i sorry i joined late my marv nice to meet you you can call me gramps he's our our front desk man yeah yeah it's an honor and privilege to have you on so thank you uh thank you um, Deathstroke is one of two characters that came to me in a second. There was no development time with him. I was walking down the street. The character came full blown. It was uh, a surprise. I was not looking for anything right then. I had just started work on the first uh, uh, on the plotting of the Titans. Suddenly, this character came to me complete, and cl- so I can't tell you how I did it. I honestly have no idea. The only other character that ever happened to was um, Blade. Both of them came to me in like one second, and I knew their complete history. I knew what they were about. I knew, mm-hmm. I understood all of that sort of stuff. Well, um, well, they both use guns and, and swords at the same time. With well, no, Blade never used a sword in my book. He used um, a wooden stake. A wooden stake that oh. was shaped like daggers. Uh, it was the, it was the movie company that did the did the sword and visually they're more interesting. Uh, the sword is more interesting, so I was fine with it. Deathstroke is such a badass, though. He's just ruthless and absolutely like that one panel where uh, he's just holding Starfire's head down over broken glass and he's like, "Come on, woman, I don't have all day" or something like that. It was just he was like you think about the Teen Titans as these you know these young up and coming even vulnerable superheroes that then Slade is just balls to the wall relentless it was just i think it was a good contrast at that time for that teen titans run so yeah he uh i knew he was a good character from the minute he came to mind uh and then george did that incredible design Mm. so between the two it was he was one of those freaks in nature just it just worked out perfectly and i have no idea why um but that makes it more interesting to me because i it's my belief that writers uh have ideas in the back of their head that are percolating when you need them suddenly they'll come to mind. So it must be something that my mind was working on, my brain was working on for a long time because he came so fast. Uh, And when they come that fast, you know they're good. Most characters take a long time to develop. It took endless time to develop Raven because she has such a complex storyline. Same with Starfire to a lesser degree. 
because she's a little bit more obvious than what the problems with Raven are. You don't know why they work. Otherwise, every issue of everything would be brilliant. Uh, you're glad to have uh, you're glad to get that occasionally. And I've been really lucky in getting it a whole bunch of times. Yeah, especially with uh, future uh, creative teams evolving them. Like, I don't know if you are familiar with the Arkham Origins video game that was developed by the com Montreal, Canada, where um, they did that trailer, which is super cinematic in the snow when Deathstroke and <clears throat> Batman are just going at it. And the fight scene is just yeah. unreal. And I was like, yeah, this is... Yeah, not like to touch on what you were just saying about, you know, you're coming together so quick and why they evolve so good. I think that was good. Yeah, it, yeah, I no, I know, I know the uh, I know the Arkham games. Uh, I not only played them, I wrote the novelization for Arkham Knight. Um, mm, whoa! So yeah, I'm very, I'm very aware of those. Oh, wow. oh nice! <laughs> just, just there's nothing you can't do at this. Point. <laughs> Writers, if they're at all any good, should be able to do, should be able to write most genres. Yeah. And since I'm a video game player. It made it a lot easier for me to become a video game writer, you know, writer. Oh, the great Marv Wolfman's a gamer. What kind of games do you play? Or like? <laughs> I'm, cur I'm currently bogged down with God of War for the new one. Nice. Haven't been able to uh, progress beyond that. I'm, uh, I'm still trying to get past this one place so I could get, could get to the end of the game by now. Online setup for the next game is, I think, the Spider-Man game. Nice. And uh, I just got uh, Call of the new Call of Duty. Wow! So you don't sleep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard the Spider-Man game was really good, actually. So yeah, that's why I was interested. Also, I think Black Cat's in it. Ah, uh, okay. I think she's yeah. one of the DLCs. That's wild to see all your characters on every media platform. There's comic books, video games, movies, just you know, animation. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you don't know. You never expected, certainly when I was around uh, doing most of that stuff and creating those characters, you never expected it to last anything beyond the comic. Right. Um, so it's a real thrill that uh, at 50 years later, some of this stuff is still around. Don't you think that's really interesting in this genre, and definitely with the amount of time you've been in it, where this is the genre where it branches out to all those other things, whereas a novelist could write a brilliant book, and it might see a series or maybe a movie but odds are it won't even though it's brilliant but th in this genre it just punches out to all these media outlets i think i always thought that well, just cool. just right now you know this is cyclical 10 years ago uh they would have argued that comic book movies would never sell and uh, nobody was interested in them instead of them being the number one uh selling uh grossing yeah. uh genres out there yeah spielberg calls it the new western now the superhero genre yeah it's, i mean especially it's good guys versus bad so yeah yeah i mean aquaman just pulled aquaman just pulled in a billion dollars i mean i would have never have believed that in my life well oh. uh yeah i i wouldn't have believed it either but it was one of the most visually arresting movies i've ever seen oh so you, so you uh, enjoyed it i take it then. uh i i like most of it yeah. um uh, I enjoyed it. I'm not the hugest fan, right. uh, but I really enjoyed it. I always have problems once a movie goes into a fight scene and because I'm more interested in the character stuff. And Jason Momoa did a, was unbelievably cool in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, he made Aquaman interesting. And certainly, I think throughout his history of Aquaman, he started back in the 1940s. He had never been an A-list character. And he is now because first because of what Jeff Johns did in the Aquaman comic, uh, totally turned the 
character around mm. in a way that none of us ever dreamed it could do, be. And then the movie people followed. I, th- I think one thing that uh, contributed to keeping Aquaman down was uh, the continuing pop culture disrespect of Aquaman. Like years after Jeff Johns had really made him cool in the in the new 52 and even prior to that there were iterations you know where aquaman is cool like you yeah when you have, so when you have yeah when you have an issue where you know his his hand is eaten off by piranhas you know that that's that's a pretty cool character but uh, even in light of all that uh we had pop culture continuing to to disrespect the character like shows like the big ba- the big bang theory probably every other episode made a reference to aquaman sucking i think i think ever since um i'm forgetting the name of the the tv show where they were going to make an aquaman movie in that it was he was always considered a secondary character. And frankly, I never thought he would be better. This is one of those things where Jeff had a vision for the character and it worked. I could never have done Aquaman. He was, to me, a very minor character and I never could figure out a way to make him that interesting. Yeah, Jeff, I think that that's what Jeff's approach was with Green Lantern as well prior to his Green Lantern run because it wasn't that popular and then he did that long run and then uh and then ryan yeah. reynolds did a movie and it kind of like <laughs> tanked so yeah i just was wondering if you could talk about uh your partnership with uh george perez on the new teen titans how that came about well uh george and i had worked together a bit a bit at marvel uh, uh both as a writer artist and also as an editor i was i edited uh his early uh sons of the tigers and some of the other stuff as well inside my books uh, so we knew each other, and I had proposed, when I got to D.C., I had proposed the Teen Titans, I had worked up the characters, I had all these ideas. D.C. was interested, uh, certainly, in them, even though they didn't think the Teen Titans would do all that well, since it had just been canceled, like a year or so before. And uh, they didn't particularly care for the book, uh, but they trusted what I could do. I was up at Marvel for some reason that I don't have no idea. And I saw George and I mentioned him what I was doing and asked if he'd like to draw it. And he did. Uh, he was primarily interested in maybe getting to DC to do the Justice League. But he, uh, he thought that uh, Titans, based on previous sales of other things, would not sell that well and it would be canceled. But then he could move over to the Justice League. Then we just decided, yeah, the chances of it succeeding because sales were very poor at the time in comics was probably very small. So uh, George and I said, well, we'll be given six issues. Let us uh, let us both do the best job we could possibly do. Let us do the comic the way we think superhero comics should be done. Because we didn't, we weren't held down. Nobody stopped us. We did exactly what we wanted. And lo and behold, it turned out that's what the readers liked too. It became now, one far, of the biggest books of, at DC at that time. Yeah. Was, now, um, as far as George is concerned, I mean, in the beginning, I was plotting the stories, but it was very evident that, because uh, I did a Marvel plot, uh, so not, I didn't outline in specific detail every single action. Uh, but within an issue or two, it was very evident that George was far more than just the artist on the book. And what happened was, over the period of a year or so, uh, we became not only good friends, we became a complete partnership on those things. Um, We both thought of the characters the same way. We both got uh, the attitude of the characters. And George, as proven, is just a phenomenal storyteller. He fully understands the characters. 
so together we were able to make it. Uh, it was not one writer and one artist. It was the two of us. Even if I did the majority of a plot and he followed it exactly, it's still the two of us because he posed the characters right. He treated the characters right. So working with George was phenomenal. And I think we both consider ourselves very lucky that we work with somebody who we never fought with, not once. We never had wow. you know, any, any negative conversations. I think, though it was never stated, my belief is that if we ever did disagree, we would just drop that idea completely and find something that we both liked. Mm. Because ideas, you can always come up with new ideas. It's better to come up with something new than fight. But we never even had that. We never had to prove it because we never had a single uh, disagreement the entire time. That harmony showed, uh, came out in the quality of the book, which is amazing. Especially for somebody like me. I was I was super young back then. I was around 10, 11 years old. It was just the emotion, uh, such an uh, emotional, so many emotional storylines with the Teen Titans going through drugs and puberty and uh, their first relationships and the amazing detail in George Perez's artwork. Really an, an incredible collaboration. Well, we, as I say, we both agreed with the characters. We both understood the characters. And we wanted to tell the story we wanted to tell. And I think sometimes that doesn't happen. So, uh, uh, yeah, the two of us really work together well. And we're still friends after all this time. Did, was, it, was the focus of Titans, did you have it in the back of your mind that you wanted to make these characters very re- relatable and vulnerable while portraying these stories? Or was, did the stories just flow out of you and that's the way it landed? I don't think we ever stated we're going to make them relevant or... Yeah. Or whatever, we were telling stories about seven individual teenagers, and each one had their own concerns, own problems, own lives, Mm. and treated them like that. Uh, Since we were trying to be as realistic as 1980 or so, uh, let us be, we we just wanted to tell really good stories that we had never seen before and wanted to to take to new areas. Mm. I just wanted to know what your take was on the current climate of comic books in terms of... uh, just say Marvel and DC creative teams on Twitter receiving tweet storms from new readers if certain characters aren't in relationships or married or whatever it may be. Well, what's your take on all that with, with, in terms of what's going on right now? I think it's unless you're uh, one of the very top people, you're not getting, uh, you're not being treated fairly uh, by the fans because every one of them feels that they have a right to get the book only the way they want it. Right. And they ignore the fact that everybody has their own opinions and this stuff should be, it's meant for a mass market, not for one person. And I think all the attacks creators get, I don't get it. I don't get this because I'm not full time working. Uh, so, um, but I see occasionally people really being attacked badly yeah. simply because they did a story which one person doesn't like, but he's so vociferous that he's going to create a problem on Twitter or on uh, something else. It's a shame. Uh, One of the things that I'm very happy about is that the internet didn't exist when we were doing uh, not only Titans, but Crisis, because first of all, everybody knows everything months before it happens. I cannot imagine uh, Crisis having succeeded in the same way if the fans had any idea what we were doing from issue to issue. Because we weren't selling it to the comic shops, we didn't have to. We didn't have to tell our storyline in the Diamond catalog. There mm. was no Diamond catalog. We just wrote and drew what we believed in and hoped that the fans would too. 
you have to always remember that we're the ones in charge of that stuff in terms of making the stories work. And yes, they can be bad ones. Uh, the fans are really good at catching that sort of stuff. But I just wish that people would not would explain why they don't like a story rather than attack the creator. Yeah, there these groups and they just cut like lash out over and over again and then it causes the big two they change they you know they change variant covers or pull variant covers and now they're censoring things on labels that are supposed to be able to not have censorship. So it's I think it's really interesting to see and almost sad to see what's going on in comics right now because What's going to happen if creative teams feel like they have to hold back or tippy-toe and not be able to tell their stories? Because the creators aren't able to tell their stories full-fledged and you're not going to get things like New Teen Titans or Dark Knight Returns or uh, well, stories you'll, that... You'll always get them because there's... You'll get them because they're more and more in the, uh, smaller companies. And, you know, Image is not a small company. Right. And those creators don't have an editor telling them what to do. So uh, the editors exist to help them, but not to necessarily control them. Yeah. Um, and Dark Horse and, and IG, uh, IDW and all the others. So there are a lot of companies with company characters. You just have to aim it a little differently. On the other hand, I've been able to do stories on Raven the way I want it. And uh, aimed towards the audience I wanted it to uh, Raven to be aimed at. So it still exists. It's just that sometimes the fans get really disturbed by something, and they don't wait to see how it's going to work out. Right. Uh, I remember years ago I came up with a character called Dan, um, Danny Chase, which the fans despised. I was purposely making him a total creep. Right. The whole idea was to watch him be redeemed. We had just done a storyline with Terror where we show that it couldn't be re she couldn't be redeemed and with uh with danny i wanted to show that this young punk was growing up but we never got there we mm. could never get mm. there because the fans so hated the character they wouldn't even let you see wow. what was doing now we finally in the in the games graphic novel that came out a few years ago you could see where i was going with danny because suddenly all these people write well, if he was written like that beforehand, uh, we would have loved him. Well, you can't get to that point unless you start in uh, start elsewhere. So it, it's a problem. I think the fans should wait or just not buy the book. Right. Exactly. If they don't like it, just don't buy it. Don't you know? buy it. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's the best hobby. <laughs> if, if you don't enjoy it, just don't read it, rather than <clears throat> making any attempt at uh, compromising a creator's vision. Well, I... I the, Creator's vision is always going to be a compromise for whatever reason, whether it's uh, uh, political, sexual, whatever. There's going to be some problems, and, the, and all creators know that. Unless you own it and can do anything you feel like, there's going to be some problems there. And sometimes when you own it, you may screw it up completely. Mm. Uh, I'm not, one side is not intrinsically better than the other. You know, work for hire or, or self-publishing is not necessarily... You can't choose one as necessarily better than the other. They have they serve different purposes. I just want the fans to calm down and read the story. If you don't like it, explain why. You're not you're not obligated to do that. But instead of screaming, here's why I don't like this story. I, this you set up a sequence and pay in issue one, and you forget to pay it off by issue four. Yeah, that happens all the time. People get sloppy, and those things people should call out. But do it on a logical basis, not on a um, we hate the creator basis. 
In terms, right. in terms, uh, uh, in terms of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, conversation we're having, uh, I remember as a kid reading New Teen Titans thirty nine, the issue where Robin and Kid Flash quit, and I was just crushed and devastated. And uh, I mean, at that point in nineteen eighty four or eighty five, whatever it was, there's, there's no, you know, there's no outlet other than sitting down and you know mailing a letter. So I was just. Uh, you know, I had to I had to just deal with it and <laughs> go along with the storyline. Yeah, no, I mean it was it was crushing, but it was I mean an amazing story. And uh, that was no, another question I had. Uh, how did how did that transition of Dick Grayson come about from Robin to Nightwing? Like, uh, how did that all you know, come together? Well, what happened was we'd been aging Dick Grayson regularly uh, throughout the entire series. I mean that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, he. You know, Robin in the Batman books was always sort of the little kid partner who would crack bad jokes. And my thought, and George's thought was, no, this character is in charge of the Titans. He has to be smart. He learned his all of his tactics from Batman. So instead of treating him like a little dopey kid, treat him as an, somebody who's really smart and has been taught really well how to do things. Um, but we couldn't, at that particular point, there was nothing we could do uh, to change it because people didn't do that back then. And then I got a uh, call saying that the Batman group wanted Robin back. They want. Uh, they felt because Robin had been out of the Batman book uh, for for a while then, and they wanted him back. And not only that, they wanted to make him younger again, the way he had been. And I went. I didn't want to lose the character. But I said, here's what we should do. I don't care about Robin. I care about Dick Grayson. Why don't we keep Dick Grayson and you come up with a new Robin? Nobody's ever done that before. We've been saying from, it was obvious for years we had to do something because we were aging Robin. And he was great. He had already gone to college and quit. And that was several years before. So he had to be 19 to 22 by, by, that, by that point. And why is he still wearing those silly green, you know, swim trunks? It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> He's got to be shaving make, his legs by now. <laughs> yeah, can we make him? Uh, can we make him as uh, as old as we're riding? So I said, let us have Dick Grayson. Let me age him. We can do this. We can make him really good, and you can come up with another Robin. And it could be the first time that's ever been done. They both, everybody. That was a win-win for everyone. And we so we got Dick Grayson, which is why we uh, had him quit uh, the Titans so that he could develop himself as a character. And Nightwing came out of that. See, uh, Grumps, if you if you let things play out, it all yeah, comes back yeah. around and it's <laughs> better in the was, end. That's that's our that was great. That's, that's our be, message to these toxic pa- fans. Just let it patient. play out. Gotta be patient, Grumps. If you don't like it, yeah. don't buy it. Oh, yeah. I am absolutely positive that if the diamond catalog existed and we said dick grayson's quitting the titans people would have been up in arms oh yeah uh, yeah whole yeah. shit storm uh long before the book ever came out the fact that nobody knew what we were doing and nobody would ever know because i would never talk about any of that stuff even when asked directly meant that the first time they'd see it they'd see it in the printed book and they could be angry but it's already done 
fortunately, most people loved the idea because they all they all saw that we were aging to Grayson. And the fact that he came back as Nightwing made him even more interesting to the readers uh, because he was the first of the team, kid partners to grow up and become his own character. Still tied him to Batman, but he was his own man at the same time. Mm. He's another wildly popular character at this point now, Dick Grayson as Nightwing. I, I think uh, a big thing that led to the longevity of the Teen Titans in general and the continuing interest in each of the members is not just who they are as characters on their own, but the the strength of the characters as as a unit, as a, the family that they were. And you told me before about uh, an interesting the the method that you had done for constructing them, weaving them yeah. all together. Uh, all the characters were were grasped in a sense um, between emotions and powers. And the idea was I wanted the characters to be, to be a family, not a team up book. It's not the justice league. The, it's not the Avengers, which just isolated characters come together. I wanted them to be a family. And by working up the characters, the emotions and the powers and making sure that each character would let was an intro into a storyline in other words, if I wanted to do a detective story, we have Robin. If I wanted to do um, a horror story, we have Raven. If I wanted to do, you know, uh, any type of story, we had a character that could lead you into it. And emotionally, every character was created to uh, to work off each other. You had described how you had actually charted out each of the members of the team. And uh, it, it listed out, you know, they all uh, had lists of how... Each of them looked upon each other, upon each of the other members, right. how they felt about themselves, yeah, and that really uh, felt it. important to me that they be a family, not the Justice League of the Avengers, which were just separate characters who come together. And therefore, I had to know the personalities, the characters. They had to work off each other. I had to chart, what does this character think about that character? Because they're not just, they don't all have the same feelings about each other. Uh, like any set of friends, you may like them all, but you like them for different reasons. Some you may not like as much. They may, you may like one who doesn't care as much for you. So it's important that we that we have established who the characters are very thoroughly. And I think once you do that, and you understand the characters, you know how to write them and you know how to draw them. Uh, Marb, um, before we let you go, I just wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to an up-and-coming, passionate, potential writer that wants to break into comic, the comic book genre? Uh, I would say don't try to break in. Don't try to break into the comic book genre. Right. Try to be break into writing. Okay. Um, I write novels. I write video games. I, I've written... Um, animation i've written theme park shows it's important even if comics are my favorite and they are um it's important that you become a writer who wants to write all sorts of things at that point yes you can write comics mm. you can write all this stuff but learn how to be a writer first and foremost and try to explore as many different uh, genres and different approaches as you possibly can. Now, it, it may be similar to that. Assuming it's any different uh, than that piece of advice, what's the greatest advice you were ever given, and who was it from? Uh, you, know, the, you, you learn so much from everybody, um, and uh, I, I've never thought of myself as a great writer. I'm a good storyteller, 
And therefore, uh, since I do have that uh, feeling, I'm open to listening to other people and, uh, and hearing what they have to say and see if there's something in there I can use uh, or learn from. Uh, you know, it was like a revelation when uh, Scott Snyder started to do Batman because I thought it was the best Batman I had ever seen. Now, Tom King's doing it and he's doing it as great a job. So in, a t in ways that I had ne never imagined. So that opens up your area of creativity again. You're seeing something, you're acknowledging how good it is. Now you want to make it work for you. Uh, you don't copy because you can't. It's stupid to copy because it won't come out of you. It'll be just a bad version of someone else. But figure out what they're doing. Learn what, uh, you know, figure out what makes it work, what makes it interesting, and then incorporate that into yourself. Mm. Marv, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for um, everything that you have given us in this medium that we love and enjoy and want to see to keep progressing. And um, well, thank you. And, and I also wanted to thank you for Bullseye. And, uh, and, and so many, you know, like countless. Yeah, I'm a huge Daredevil fan, so Bullseye is like one of my favorites. Well, so thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marv. Thank you, Marv. Thank you Marv. Take care, Marv. Take Have care. a good day. Hey, Gotham Dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.